On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by cardiologist Dr. Paddy Barrett, chatting all things cardiovascular disease. The way I look at this is that the the two statistics that everyone should really be aware of is cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death globally and in most developed nations, but it's also the most preventable. 90% of it can be prevented at an early stage if you just follow the right steps and formula. So I look at it as a, a scary opportunity. As ever available on all podcast platforms. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Alliance, supporting all 32 counties through the Alliance Leagues. Hello and welcome to the Throwing Independent.ie's GA podcast in association with Alliance. I'm Will Slattery, delighted to be joined as always by Michael Verney. Michael, hello. Are we going well? You couldn't be better on a, on a Monday morning. A, a rare weekend for awfully one hurling and football league matches, so yeah, <laughs> good day. It's I know day. it's like a, it's like a throwback to the early eighties when uh, Offaly were kingpins and in both codes. Yeah, is it a good? Are the good times back? I wish it was. Uh, I wish it was here to stay, but uh, hopefully, hopefully it is. But geez, the hurlers had a brilliant win against Kerry. Kerry have had the strong hand on us the last couple of years, relegated us to Christy Ring in uh, the end of the twenty nineteen championship and. Uh, beat us in the league last year down in Kerry as well, so that was a that was a great result, and it was you know it was really really convincing as well. You know that's it's not winning by a couple of points, it's absolutely annihilated Kerry. So that was a great result. The footballers had a great result against Wicklow as well away. So yeah, all good. I'd like to be if this is a regular occurrence every Monday morning, I'd be a happy man. Yeah, you've obviously been very busy the last week. You haven't been able to go to the barbers as yet. I can see you're still growing out your your hair. You've been... <laughs> Uh, the problem is like the barbers are are like uh, the place I go and borrow barbers 21 you have an appointment and you have half an hour half an hour is just not enough for me so this this will have to be a special appointment outside yeah. of hours because it said it could need the guts of about two hours for yeah me. I think they might you need to get someone to come out to you I think it's it's kind of a two-person job it'll probably yeah. take you you know a half a day's work at least I think with that it, it might look a bit silly but I'm actually happy enough with it to be honest with you yeah, well, we're going to be joined uh, by Dick Clerkin to discuss the football along with Conor McKeown and then Brennan Cummins a little later. Uh, any kind of results jump out to you before we get into the lads? No, just as was uh, Antrim were the, were the focus of last week's conversation with the, the big win over Carlo and while they didn't win down in Kilkenny, still had a you know a very positive showing against uh, going down there and it was always going to be a big, it was going to be a big one going down to those outside of Turles, the, the, the other home of Hurland, really. So, but they put, they put it up them and they hit three goals. Um, I think from Kilkenny's point of view, it was putting up that, you know, a big display like that and a big score without TJ Reid is, is a good sign for them because the time is going to come in a couple of years when they don't have him and other guys are going to have to step up. So I'd say positives from both sides, but Antrim will, Antrim will be keen to try and take another scalp before the end of that, before the, over the next three games, I'd say. And, you know, they won't be far off taking another scalp. Yeah, we'll, we'll be talking more about the hurling a little later in the show. But first, it's time to turn our attention to football, which returned over the weekend. I'm delighted to have Conor McKeown and Dick Clerkin here with us. Guys, how are things? Great. Well, well. Great, well, great. Great and, and, back talking football. 
Yeah, no, a, 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 a welcome, uh, a welcome moment for sure. And Dick, we might start with what you were writing about in today's Irish Independent, and that was kind of reflecting on Kerry's devastating attacking display over the weekend, and obviously a health warning opening weekend of the league after a long layoff. But you know, when you're inside forwards, the three of them have scored uh, from play after I think two or three minutes. It's a statement of intent. Like how how big a moment is it early in the season to lay down a marker? Just you know, the, the three six from David Clifford, his brother chipping in with a goal himself. Like, is it important? Do you think to kind of bury that cork defeat as well, and the way they maybe set up that day? Yeah, well, I think there's a couple of things different counties were looking at yesterday. Their own county want to get a start. Want something, some sort of optimism and their own local interest. And different counties are coming into this year with a bit of baggage, others just with a bit of hope and building. But then equally, everyone wants to see a potential challenger to Dublin. Right? We want a competitive championship. We want something to look forward to. Because last year, let's be honest, um, aside from a few provincial upsets, it was fairly pedestrian and a formality for Dublin going through. So we don't want that. So Kerry give everybody, aside from the, the David Clifford show, a saying that, yeah, come August, there's, there's a real challenge on the card. Very hard to see a repeat of what happened against Cork last year um, if they show that intent from, from here on in. So I think that's really what grabbed my attention is, is right, they've, they've, they've finally accepted that they've got all this talent up front. You've you got to use it. You've got to get the ball in quick. You've got to back your forwards. And if you keep scoring heavy, if you keep the ball on the right side of the field, the score will look after itself. It, it, you know, attacking makes your defensive job an awful lot easier. And, you know, I think Peter Keane, yes, he obviously tried to, to dampen it down and give out a few very obscure comments after the game. But listen, he, he, they went out of the tent and there's a few scores in particular showed that. Um, and Galway just not at the races. But listen, they, they're better than that. You know, but, but Kerry... It's good to see they're as good as that because that's what the game needs at the minute. Yeah, Connor, and I think you had the GA journalism moment of the week. I think bringing that Peter Keane quote to light, I, I think on social media is where I think a lot of people saw it. Uh, he was trying his best to beat Peter Keane after the game and, and downplay it as much as possible. And in a sense, he is right. Like it, there was maybe a slightly challenged match feel to the to the game at times. But when you rack up four twenty one and beat you know a Galway team who did have a, some big names playing themselves and beat them by you know twenty two points, that's a huge way to start the season. Yeah, like I don't buy this sort of challenge game thing either. Like I, I'm not sure where this notion that the league is, is some sort of phony war is actually coming to. There might not be any great value in winning the competition, but like we're so close to the start of the championship and there's so few games. And managers, you know, inter-county managers by definition, like they're very active-minded people and they've been in isolation for the past six months, figuring out where they went wrong, figuring out things that they want to put right this year. So there's something to take out of every one of these games. You can't simply gloss over them, whether you're a part of Joyce and you're looking at the black hole of a 22-point defeat, you know, particularly given the scale of the defeat that they had at the back end of the league last year against Mayo, or if you're Peter Keane, like same thing, like it's like, Kerry were phenomenal the other day. Um, they, like the, the most interesting thing nearly was the team selection. You know, it was almost a, a sort of very muted statement of intent itself. Like if you go back to the Cork game last year, okay, uh, Paul Geaney was injured and he wasn't he wasn't there that day. But like Killian Spillane came off the bench and he was nearly Kerry's best player in the defeat to Cork. Um, Paddy Clifford was on the bench he only got on for the last minute or two they are different styles of forwards to some of the players that Peter Keane selected last year so I agree with Dick you know I think the big question now is is this how Kerry are going to approach the year is this how they're going to go after every task and 
even if they'll be allergic to talking about it, is this how they're going to take on Dublin if they meet them in an All-Ireland final? Because, you know, the only team really to take on Dublin um, in the past decade on those terms has been Mayo, and they're the team that have pushed them closest. Even Kerry after the 2016 semi-final, they kind of changed tack a fair bit. Um, but I think, like, if you're looking at it from Peter Keane's point of view, and you, you look at you have the phenomenal talent of David Clifford, and like Paddy Clifford as well, for a fellow playing on the half-forward line, he just looks like he's going to score. Like a, a prolific half-forward in that sort of physical shape is, is completely invaluable. But maybe it's just time to say, right, you know, Dublin don't have Jack McCaffrey, they don't have Paul Mannion, they don't have Dermot Connolly anymore. Um, you know, let's go after them. Let's just back our team to be better than them in a, in a, in a game. Because whatever they say, everything in the Kerry planning has to be around Dublin because they know that's definitely who they'll have to go through or more than likely to win in All-Ireland. And they play them this weekend as well. It's it's, it's very nicely. But before we maybe look ahead to that game and maybe discuss Dublin Ross Common as well, Michael, just a word on Galway. As Connor mentioned, after taking that hiding from Mayo when football resumed last year, they didn't have a great championship. Obviously, they didn't get to play Sligo, so they kind of went in a little cold to another Mayo clash where they were defeated. (laughs) The morale must be quite low to suffer such a, a humiliating defeat in the opening game. Yeah, I actually remember when uh, Connor was on the show uh, the first game after the first round of the league last year, and I didn't actually agree with him at the time. He said that because how condensed it was, that Gall would find it hard to turn it back, turn it around, and that he was he was exactly right. And it's the same now. You'd be worried for you'd be worried for them. Um, they haven't you know hadn't trained together that long. They hadn't been together that long. All of a sudden they're back in now. They play a game. They get absolutely annihilated. Um, fair enough by you know a brilliant attacking display by Kerry, but how difficult is it to turn around? They're going to be they have to play Dublin obviously yet again. Um, it 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 wasn't good for them in last year's championship. It wasn't good for them in last year's league. They ended up getting beaten by Dublin as well. They, they obviously kind of sleepwalk into the into the Connacht final by getting a walkover from Sligo. But very very hard to turn things around. Uh, I know Jim McGuinness probably got some of the blame last year for coming taking that session before that league game, but I'm not too sure what they're going to attribute blame to. To this time, it was just really, really disappointing for like you have to remember in you know in February and March last year we were all talking about how good things were going in Galway and how you know were they going to be the, the springer from the pack to to threaten Dublin? But yeah, it's it's just with the time frames, it's going to be so difficult to turn things around. So there definitely would be definitely would be a worry there. Yeah, so it's one silver lining is Damien Conner back in the starting lineup, and that's very positive, obviously, but. There's not many other positives to take from that. And Dick, I was looking to maybe some of the other games, Dublin Ross Common, not a whole lot maybe to, to, to draw from it. There was a few people in there that maybe people weren't expecting to see. Sean McMahon, Darren Mullen, Tom LaHaif, Michael Sheel and goal. But it was very much a fairly standard Dublin performance at arm's length the whole time. Yeah, listen, we've just come accustomed to those over the last six or seven years, you know, playing that. Dublin just go out against that middle-ranked team. And yeah, They'll, they'll, the other team will play because they'll always get into double-digit scores because Dublin will afford a team, but they're always at arm's length. They'll always win by six-plus, depending on what they want to do. And, you know, they're just so just so comfortable in their own skin at, the, at, at this stage. You know, it doesn't really matter who you switch in. They know what job they're stepping into and they're all at the pitch of the game. Now, I still do think that they're still need a solid core you know I, 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 I think Desi Farrell and Dublin wouldn't want to be going out into games without a Brian Fenton um, or a James McCarthy or a Kira Kenny. you know like a lot of good teams they do have a, a few sort of 
pivotal, pivotal catalyst type players. So, but when they're there and have been, and uh, everything else can just knit in around them, like Cormac Costello again, you know, looks like a guy that you know wants to get one of these jerseys that the young fellas are now coming in and whipping off him. And uh, so hopefully, you know, from his point of view, he can he can start making an impact as, as a starting player. God knows he's been about long enough. But listen, not, not much to be seen there. Be more interested to see what happens in Torlis this weekend to get a real sign of, 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 of Dublin. And, and will Kerry really show their hand and have a real cut of them? Be interesting to see. Yeah, Connor. from a Dublin perspective, are you expecting them to be pretty similar to what they were last year about in how they go approach the games, but also the personnel? Do you, is there anyone of the kind of players I listed there who, who got a run at the weekend that you could see maybe forcing their way in to get meaningful game time? Or will it be much that cohort that maybe started against Mayo in uh, December? Yeah, like it's an interesting question. I think just like on, the, on, the, on how Dublin played yesterday, I know like it's very easy to move on from it because they had it so easy, but... Um, the efficiency that they play the game with is, is, is just incredible. You know, like I was at Armagh and Monaghan and it was a good game between two good teams. But by comparison, you could see the players exerting twice as much energy for half the reward, you know, whereas with Dublin, they just always make sure it's the right player carrying the ball out of defence. They always make sure that the movement to their forwards, you know, creates space to the right people. They, I think they got, I mean, I saw the stats, 34 scores from 30 nine scoring opportunities their efficiency is incredible um and it's it's they do it at such a kind of you know they do it by stealth you know then they, they nearly go away and that's why i think you know going back to the carry thing you have to do something extreme against dublin you either go sort of Donegal 2011 or you go carry 2013 you know you either blitz them and take them on everywhere and take your chances or you try and shut them out completely because if you let them you know, when they're kick out, frills from the back, they'll just, you know, it's a death by a thousand cuts. They, they are the most efficient team that we've probably ever seen. Uh, I think just regarding this weekend, um, there's probably, there's probably something to be said for looking back to last year when Desi Farrell had his first league game uh, against Kerry and Croke Park. And, and Desi was obviously late appointed. And then, you know, most of the squad went away on a team holiday. I think they'd only three sessions before they played Kerry in the league. And they got a draw out of it. And I had fully expected Kerry to win that game because they had proper preparation. But there's something in Desi Farrell that's very traditionalist. And the idea of coughing up a league game, regardless of the circumstances, to your primary rivals for the All-Ireland, you know, he, he wouldn't in a million years just allow that to happen. So, you know, given that Dublin are only guaranteed four games this year, they've already had one. And the next one coming is against the All-Ireland champions. I think he will select as many of his big game players as possible. And the guys that you mentioned there, um, I think really what he's trying to do is cultivate a bench. Like he's lost Mannion, McCaffrey's not coming back, Darren McConley's not around, neither is Paddy Andrews or Michael Darren McCauley. So, okay, fair enough, you can say that some of those fellas were just popping up the bench. But he needs to, he needs to cultivate proper options um, because the team itself has kind of regenerated itself now at this stage. Like the, the real leaders in it are Fenton, Kilkenny, Khan, even John Small. And those players are only 27. So, you know, the core of the team is still quite young, but, um, you know, I still think he'll probably have to find a midfielder. Um, maybe Padre Cuffey Bourne, who was on the bench yesterday, uh, is a good prospect. But I don't really see too many of those players breaking into the starting 15. And as regards the Kerry game this weekend, I'm absolutely certain that Dublin will pick the strongest possible team that they can. Yeah, yeah I, I, I made slight reference to it today. Like, if, if Dublin were happened to... To be to be beaten by Kerry next weekend, like they have to go to Tune in Galway, which will be an absolute dogfight. 
for to stay out of relegation because that's you know the winner of that game will 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 probably stay up by virtue of the head to head. So you know I would fully agree. I reckon it'll be both teams going hell for leather for Torlus because you want to get the job done. You don't want to be getting dragged into the last day because it's so it's so tight. <laughs> Hard to see a Galway team turning whether at them in a turnover. Desi Fall doesn't want that distraction. He'd want to have, you know, the league tidied up. Also, they're not going to get any games in Croke Park for their league campaign this year unless they get to a final. So you know, it's been a massive advantage having the the winter series and and the the new players getting accustomed to Croke Park ahead of other teams. So I'd say it'd be nice to get a run out because the Leinster Championship will be just a sort of a, a cakewalk challenge match. So to play a good top team in Croke Park, maybe in a, in a league final, I'd say it might be something that Desi Ford would would appreciate um, ahead of meeting a, a Mayo or a Kerry later in the summer. Yeah, Michael, just on the game, you know, Dublin Kerry and Turles at the weekend, you know, given the condensed nature of the season, how close it is to the championship, does it take on added significance for you? Is it more than just a league game between two rivals? If Kerry go out, say, and put in another really good attacking display and get a win, is there a narrative building then that they are the team to beat Dublin this year? I think because it's Kerry and Dublin, it takes on more of a, an importance anyway, regardless. Um I think just an interesting one as well. Peter Keane in his first year got to an All-Ireland final and probably should have won the first day when they had an extra man. Last year was a bit of a write-off. I think he might see, like, he's not, I'm not, I'm not looking into the future, but he's not guaranteed a fourth year. I think he will, uh, he will play to his strengths this year. His strengths is a big, you know, a, this a big attacking force that they have. And I think if, he's, if this is going to be his last year as Kerry manager, he'll go out in the shield and they'll play the way he'll play to his strengths and play the way he thinks they should play. So hopefully they'll really go at Dublin this weekend. It's great to be, you know, five or six days away from a game like this and be looking forward to it as much as much as we are. These are kind of the these are the ties that make that make the league. Uh, do I think it will have uh, an impact later on in the year? Yeah, potentially. No more than I think Limerick uh, losing to Galway in the hurling yesterday potentially could have an impact later on in the summer if they potentially meet. So it's probably. Um, it's probably more of an impact for Kerry if Kerry can get a win over Dublin playing this kind of swashbuckling attacking style if they uh, spot holes or spot gaps or exploit weaknesses in Dublin it would definitely um, it will definitely uh, bear fruit maybe later on in the year similarly if Dublin can keep the strong hand on Kerry Kerry coming in with all this momentum all this positivity after the first weekend and Dublin shut them down and then all of a sudden you're thinking Kerry are thinking uh, okay, this didn't really work in this league game. Dublin were able to match us or whatever, and then they might tweak that. And it just it does it. It, it has it will have an effect on things to, to go later. I'm hoping to just really go at each other. We see kind of a high score, a high score, a match. Kerry, um, as every other team has done, they've played games against Dublin on Dublin's terms, and I think they'll try and play on their own terms. And if that doesn't work, it doesn't work. But they should be playing to their strengths, and I think they will this weekend. And that's why it's so. Uh, that's why everyone's going to look forward to it so much. That's the mark, like by far the marquee game across hurling or football next weekend. It's the only game anyone's going to be talking about. Yeah, it's great to have such a big game so early in the campaign as well to get to get everyone's minds focused. And Connor, this was one of the big talking points from the weekend was from that Dublin Ross Common game, the penalty incident. You know, the new rule is being brought in. Anthony Cunningham very unhappy after the game, saying that he basically doesn't think it should have been brought in. Like. After you know, I know you've been at a couple of games so far. Like, how have you you found it? You know, in practice, I'm not sure if you've seen many incidents of it, or or what do you make of the reaction to it after just two weeks or one uh, week? Sorry, 
in football. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like there was there was there were two well there was one very clear cut incident in the game I was at in Skillen where um Ryan Kennedy, the Armagh cornerback, fouled Sean Jones. Now it was it was difficult to tell where exactly the foul took place. But um Kieran Brannigan was the ref and he went in and spoke to his umpires and um so he was obviously considering that it was one of these fouls. And when he came back out, he decided to give a free in, no penalty and no card to Kennedy. Um, and after the match, um, we were told that he had basically judged it, that the foul was outside and that it wasn't deliberate. So like, like there's clear reasoning. But I think the problem is here now, and Kieran McGinney alluded to this afterwards, um, and this was really just about the general point. You know, like you're asking basically a referee, whatever about a judging, whether it's inside, um, you, like you're you're asking a referee to give their own analysis on whether whether there was intent because intent is you know it, it's a it's a paramount in in awarding this penalty and it's it's impossible to do that like it it really is like there are some very obvious cases but the 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 the, the width of the gray area when it comes to deciding whether there was intent you know it'll be interesting to see because. I would imagine eventually what will happen is referees will err on the side of caution because awarding a penalty is a very, very, um, I suppose it's an extreme thing to do in tight matches. Um, but, you know, you can get to the situation where there's such a value on us that you have players that are falling over looking for that penalty because they need to get one. And that's difficult on referees. Now, you can make the point and say, well, you know, it's up to players to behave responsibly on the pitch and not try and con referees but we know that in a competitive environment that's inevitably going to happen so I mean I, I agree with the principle of the rule you know I, I think deliberate drag downs deliberate pull downs should have a very high level of um, punishment but the rule as it has been drawn up I think puts more pressure on referees it, it, it gives them too much to adjudicate in a snapshot and I know they have umpires there to help them out with it and I, I like I'd be absolutely open to Kieran Brannigan getting that one right yesterday it was difficult to tell from where we are but like that was only a minor example of something that could have massive ramifications for a huge match later yeah. this year yeah I, I would agree with Connor. I think and hopefully that's where we'll arrive at when all these controversies and that we just get sick of them and we started to define rules a bit better to make everyone's job easier like the only situations that a player should feel the full wrath of that new rule with the, the penalty, the black card. When there's just no doubt, like anybody, no matter what vantage point, whether in the corner of the stand or right up to it, knows exactly that that player was going in with no intent other than to drag that player down. There was no attempt. There was no conceivable possibility that that could have been a tackle. He just went down, goes back to the Sean Kavanagh textbook example. Like, the, the, you know, that and young McLaughlin last last year against Galway. Anybody, nobody would dispute that. Anything that there's a, a margin of doubt that could go to the player that if, this, if his timing had been a wee bit better, he could have got the ball away, or there was instinct, or it was just somebody running across. The benefit of the doubt has to be given to the defender because that's that's Gaelic football. That's that's the game. It's played at high pace. These contacts will happen. That you've just. Your your instinct, your 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 turning your shoulder the wrong time. You just can't get out of it. You should not be penalised with a, a sending off or that. And that's what's happening. And that's what's frustrating. 
But anything that is just of no doubt, you know, it's the difference between first degree murder and manslaughter. Like you, you only get done for first degree murder if it's proven in, in intent. You wanted to go and, and, and do what you, you've done. And I think that that's I don't think anyone would have any dispute with that. But these marginal ones and, and, and what's happened with them, that's what drives people crazy, because that same tackle happens out in the middle of the field. Nothing. Play on. But yet it happens up in front of the goals. You could lose a man and you can see the penalty. There's no logic or consistency to that. Yeah, Michael, it's funny some of these rules when they get brought in and they get voted on at Congress and they get discussed a small bit and then they get brought in in the first week and people react, managers and players sometimes as if they've never even heard of this being brought in. You know, John Kiley in the hurling expressed similar sentiments that the game changed while we were all away and then it's just sprung upon everyone and everyone loses their mind. Yeah, it's like the advantage rule was like that was a, like an aside, a footnote almost to Congress and then all of a sudden it has a massive impact on the games. Uh, particularly the hurling games at the at the moment. Um, but uh, no, I I'd agree, I'd agree with the lads. In fairness, uh, I just think that the punishment is so severe and just completely changes the face of a game. As Dick said, it has to be so clear cut. Uh, there can't be any margin of doubt at all. I just think we've kind of handcuffed ourselves to this now. It's almost like a oh, is a player going to try him and buy one of these kind of fouls now? Which is like. If you're if you're under pressure in a game and all of a sudden you you know you buy a penalty and you buy a sin bin that's that changes the face of a game completely. I just don't think we're encouraging. Um, don't think we're encouraging the principles that we should be encouraging. And you're placing undue pressure on a referee uh, to make a decision that could totally change a team's league campaign, totally change a team's championship and summer and season. Um, so I I wouldn't be happy with that. I think I think a penalty uh, a penalty uh, within the you know, the new zones, the new penalty zones would have been enough of uh, a punishment to trial at least. I think we've hit the nuclear button on it and I just think it's a bit too much. Sorry, yeah. take the example, of... sorry, take the example last night that the boys looked at the Sunday game, young Darrow Canavan and the Donegal defender, I just can't remember his name. And they, they tried to, I was looking at it, they said to say, well, that, 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 that should have been a black card because he tripped him. When I was looking at that, Darrow Canavan, basically ran over his leg you know he was just in, in normal contact of what you're going to get and and again that that just shows how, how that gray area Connor, that you talked about uh, how do you interpret that in, in in real time and make a decision whereas that could be a game-changing uh, decision so i think that's the sort of stuff we, we've got to we've got to have a bit of common sense around that a bit, another like this applies to hurling as well but like the the, the root issue of this tends to be that the tackle is still so ill-defined, you know, like, and I'm sure we'll talk about it when we're talking about hurling now as well, but the use of the body in any sort of circumstance, um, you know, to block a player or to uh, jockey a player or whatever you want to call it while your hand is in, that is still very much up for debate as to what referees allow and what referees don't allow. And even if you look at the rule on it, it's not exactly clear. So then you're ta- like, then you're into a situation where if you block a guy and you happen to be bigger and stronger than him, it will look like a foul and the referee will award it. Whereas a smaller player, the same thing happened. To, I remember Kerry McGinney used to bring it up all the time about Tomas O'Connor, the big full forward that played for Kildare. Because he was so big and strong, you can have two fellas hanging out of him and he wouldn't get a free. Whereas a smaller fella, all he needs is somebody to push him over and they give a free. So, like, again, I think this is well-intentioned. But because there is such a grey area, because it's so ill-defined about what constitutes a tackle, what sort of use of force or use of the body uh, represents a foul, that it can't, it can only ever be applied inconsistently and subject, uh, subjectively by referees because we don't exactly know what 
it is that players are supposed to do in those situations, mm-hmm. the defensive player trying to make the tackle. Yeah, and it's certain to be a massive talking point. It'll be interesting to see if it's, how big it does become over the next couple of weeks and then as as you guys have all mentioned big championship games if they're decided with these sort of calls it don't will be even very... get us started on the mark Will, will, will that... <laughs> that's another thing <laughs> just that... that no don't start here we haven't enough time no. we'll, we'll, <laughs> yeah we'll leave that, that for another day Michael <laughs> the other mark. <laughs> the other big division one game over the weekend Tyrone Donegal those are rivals we wanted to see what the new Tyrone management would bring it wasn't a victory in, in the opening game uh, although David and Paul Donnelly had some outing with 10 points and three of them from play what did you make of that game? Uh, well, it was a different intent from Tyrone. You'd, ha- you'd have to say maybe a far more, uh, far more of attacking an attacking approach to them. A far maybe a more I don't know if positive is the right word, but they did try to play a lot more positively, which is something maybe we hadn't seen, uh, particularly in recent years. Which I know was a frustration because we would have always said that they, you know, that they have a couple of attackers that could be really dangerous and maybe that. Uh, you know, some some of the guys weren't being given the freedom to actually, you know, attack, and they were end up playing in defensive roles, and maybe kind of there was more negative kind of uh, there was more negative roles for them when they when they're positive, real good attacking players who can get in the scoreboard. So I think while they while they didn't win, at least uh, we saw a lot more of that. It was like at least if if they're losing a the game, they're kind of losing. Um, going down, trying to play a more positive way. It was it's definitely I thought it was easier on the eye anyway. Um, so that was that was the one that was the one thing I take from that, and that's going to take time to bed in as well. But that's their first competitive game. They have only had the guys for you know the good the guts of a month, so um, that's kind of the start of hopefully what we're seeing is a bit of an evolution in Tyrone. Yeah, Dick, because uh, the game kind of cut up the package last night. The amount of chances they missed, you know, their shooting was very wayward. If they had even converted a fraction of those chances, it would have been a really morale boosting start to a new reign. Yeah, it it. it shows a contrast what Connor was saying about uh, Dublin and that's where Dublin have evolved to that they're just just so efficient so but the first thing you need to do is, is create chances right so if you're creating the chances the next bit is right now lads when we're in this position we need to have better shot options and I'd far rather be trying to to fix that problem rather than the team that can't even get the ball up there to the forward so if that's where they're at now they're not in a bad place you know the likes of Conor McKenna I'd say he'd be glad to get a game of football without Neil, Neil McGee breathing down his neck at this stage after the last two games look so he's a talent that hasn't really bedded in just yet he got a good start in the league last year but exciting to see what he can do young Dara Canavan so where are they going to knit these guys in uh, Callum McShane I'm not sure it'll be interesting to see maybe an update on where he's at um, so if they can get these players in get a bit of a structure and shape around them you know there, there, there's loads of potential there where's the right play, the place to, to play a Matty Donnelly so listen those there I just don't think they're going to get there quick enough to be a real threat this year you could see Donegal who are just a wee bit more comfortable in their own skin you know, they just always look like they know what they're doing and who's doing what. I think they'll probably still just have that edge on them. Now, their only Donny Gold's problem is they're still too dependent on on Michael Murphy. Like Michael's about a long time now and he's phenomenal again at the weekend. That's been their Achilles heel at, at the crunch end over the last few years when he can't do it on his own. Is there another guy there to step up and be if it really trust him and back him to, to get you over the lane. I haven't just seen that yet. Paddy McBrady looks a bit sharper and fitter. Can he build? Um, as for Throne, yeah, I think they're on a on an upward trajectory. Just think this year will be too soon for them. Donegal, I think they're, they're going to have to try and max out because they haven't too many years in Michael Murphy le- left. He's still he's still there. He's still he's still he's still their talisman. 
just not sure they've just an, an, enough real quality to be a, a top contender anymore. Yeah, well, it was still great to have football back and be able to talk about all those great games and looking ahead even to next weekend. For the moment, Dick, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Will. It's now time to turn our attention to hurling on the throw-in in association with Alliance. We're delighted to welcome Brendan Cummins. Brendan, how are things? How's it going? All good? Uh, very interesting weekend. Galway-Limerick, probably the, the big game of the weekend and the big result with Galway getting the win. But I think we might start with John Coyley's comments after the game because that's gotten so much attention today. There was kind of two things. He accused Galway of, a, of embarrassing simulation, which we might get to in a bit. But first, an issue that we talked about last week as well, the, the, the fouls, the amount of freeze being given in games, the stop-start nature of it. He was saying that the game has changed since they last won the All-Ireland while, while the players have been away. Like, what, what do you make of his comments? I think he's, he's right on the basis that the game has changed. Um, I think the tackle has been taken out of the game. Uh, it's not healthy, I think, to say the least, uh, to watch free-taking competitions. Now, and Jesse scored 14 points for free. Now, John Kiley is honest enough to admit that his players need to tidy up in the tackle, which is they're very physically strong upper body. So, therefore, when they go into tackle, they put an arm across you. Sometimes the arm slips from here up to here. It's not the clothesline in players, but just when a player ducks in like that. So, teams now probably have recognised that, that Limerick will stand with a high stance in the tackle, arms out, shoulder high. They probably need to bring him down waist high to stop the higher tackles, we'll call it, and invite and freeze. But like the same way above and above and Turles, not to as big an extent, but Limerick had been at the brunt of this, especially the weekend before in the Gaelic grounds. He'd probably let it slide a small bit, but now he's starting to see that they need to change because I don't think, and I'm sure actually, that Crow Park aren't going to change. This is passed in Congress. It's very black and white. It's a free or it's not. There's no advantage. So um, we're going to have this conversation. You may as well record. It's going to be a bit like a Brian Cody interview after the All All Ireland's. The same thing comes out all the time. This is where it's going to be, and it's and it is a problem and a big problem for our for our game at the moment. But Michael, is it an issue across the board in hurling, or is it an issue with Limerick and you know them not really getting to the grips like other teams are? Because even last year, for instance, I mentioned in our preview podcast the amount of scoreable frees they gave away in all their games, and they won the All Ireland. So it was an issue for them last year as well. Um, is it been magnified because they're the All Ireland champions? Their coach and the manager, rather, is the is the man who really put his name to it. But is it a bigger problem for you across the board, or is it just kind of more so for this team? No, it's a pretty big problem across the board. Obviously, Limerick are the high profile example. They're the All Ireland champions, but they they have always played right on the borderline. Depending on who's refereeing, it can it can go one way or the other. It was funny. I was actually going to tweet yesterday before the game to say about James Owens refereeing. We're going to have a, you know as free for all a game as we could have, but he's obviously uh, been given an edict that he is to, to referee to the rules, and uh, I don't know if, if it's. Um, you know, if it's a closer magnifying glass on Limerick in particular, but as Brendan says, it is hurling is becoming a non-contact game at the moment. And if you go into the tackle like that, with which are which are arms in around or a hurl going in around the body, any of that kind of noise or anything like that, you're giving uh, the referee the option to give a free. They're giving them a chance to give a free. And listen, James Owens gave those frees yesterday. I think it was 22-14 in, in favour of Galway. Um, that's not anything anybody wants to see. Um, Kylie's saying that they need to look at their own uh, technique. They, they definitely do need to. They're all big, fit guys that they don't need to dive into a tackle. They don't need to give the referee the, the option. But that, this, is not, this is not what we want to see. Nobody wants to see like I like the barometer of a good game is usually when you see the free takers on both sides. You know, Jay Canning, 
uh, nine points, six frees or something like that. You know, it's been a pretty free-flowing game. We haven't just been watching Joe Canning hitting frees all day or whoever it is hitting frees all day. There's no, like, hurling is the fastest field sport in, in the world, or it was anyway. It's definitely been slowed down now big time. And, like, imagine this. In 2018, within 24 hours, we had two of the greatest games of hurling of all time, two extra time All-Ireland semi-finals, And all of a sudden, three years later, we're looking at a completely different game, a game that, that bears little resemblance to them. And we have tinkered a game that I just don't think needed such radical changes. And uh, it's worrying now. Hurling, Hurling uh, was, was almost a salvation for a lot of people in, with different things that are going on. You know what you're going to get. Uh, a bad Hurling game, they would always say, is better than you know, a good football game. Uh, a, a, a normal Hurling game now, is, is tough on the eyes and I'd be the eternal optimist as regards you know a hurling match and you know the entertainment you get from it but like it's hard to take too much optimism from what's going on at the moment and we're getting to a worrying worrying place I think a question I'd like to have to really have answered and I think it needs to come out sooner rather than later is why why was the change made now the other night on the on the, the pre before the the, the, the Tiberian Cork game we, we showed two clips that was shown as a reason for bringing in the new rule. Um, and it really came down to, like, you can pick any refereeing decision or any decision I made in the goals and say that was a poor decision. That's sport, right? But the two examples that we saw the other night, I actually called the free different to where the, the free was in the Limerick example. Um, and the referee had an advantage. So why not give the advantage, give five seconds, and then call it back? And I think we'd all be happy that that would be the case. And that was the way it was. But it, I, I don't want to stick it on referees either, to be fair to them, because they're in a, a stickier spot now. But who in the name of God decided that the game needed this to happen? And what basis did they make it on? The video certainly I saw the other day as the reason why they just weren't like, they didn't give a strong enough case to have this uproar, to cause this uproar. So my hope is that they'll come out to the GA and say, look, class, this is why and give us a little PowerPoint presentation as to what the thinking was behind it, why it passed Congress, and then we might be able to see, but I don't see it happening because I can't see any reason in the world why we've changed this. Like, it's mad stuff. Yeah, and Connor, just in terms of then the on-field action then, because ordinarily Galway beating Limerick, I think, for the first time since maybe the the league in 2017, I think, or 2018, would be a huge story in and of itself. You know, is, is it a significant victory, do you think, for Galway? I think it is, Will. Just, sorry, if you just want mind, I, I might just, because it is a big issue, like I watched just to get as big uh, a sample size like as possible for the debate, like I watched Dublin and Leash on the GAA go on Saturday as well, and like Leash dropped a man back, Dublin had two spare men in defence, and Dublin are trying to be a very methodical team, so the number of contested possessions was very, very low. Um, even, you know, by contrast to the other Division 1 games of the weekend, there was an awful lot of sharp hookouts picking out men in space. So there shouldn't have been a high free count. And there was a huge free count. The threshold for physical contact in that game before a referee blew for a free was huge. Donald Burke scored 13 frees. I think he missed another two or three in that game. Um, and then you just wonder whether this is an early season thing, whether they're trying to be as strict as possible now before... Um, you know, like, like I just I remember last year the Dublin Wexford League game in Crow Park, and Johnny Murphy blew fifty two times or something like that for freeze, and that seemed like 
the apocalypse for hurling, you know, like if, if we're blown for everything. But it, it does seem to be that players are not sure anymore what they can do to stop an opposition player. And like, it, it, I think it's exacerbated by the fact that at the moment, a lot of teams are playing a similar style where they will flood the middle. There's a, a, there are a huge number of bodies uh, in the sort of between the 265s. Half forward lines no longer really are parts where they were before. And that will mean that there's an awful lot of physical contact. And if you pick the ball up in a ruck and some fella is standing there with his arms out doing literally nothing, if you run into him in the right position and fall down, you'll win it free. And that's just, I mean, you know, if that continues on into the championship, I think we're actually going to have a bit of a farcical sort of a season for Hurling. You would hope that the same thing that happened last year happens this year, where they kind of, they let up on the severity of referees blowing for the free, but they've clearly defined it now. And, you know, you can't really blame referees because they're obviously being told that this is what is now a free. So, you know, like something's going to have to give because otherwise what we're going to have is, has been said many times over the weekend already, glorified free-taking competitions. And as great an all as it is to watch fellas putting over the ball over the bar from their own 65, it happens so often now. There's so, such good ball strikers out there that it's actually not that sort of entertaining anymore. Yeah. Well, Michael, then on the Galway-Limerick game itself, you know, as I said to Connor, is it a significant victory for Galway? It's been overshadowed massively by the debate around how the game is going generally, but in and of itself as a match, is it important in your opinion? Yeah, no, I definitely think it is. Um, I think they had them, uh, maybe arm's length is a bit of a stretch, but I, I don't think Limerick ever really looked like winning the game at any stage in the second half. Galway always seemed to have a little extra bit uh, and they were, they were able to stay with them physically too. Limerick weren't able to burn them in attack in particular, even around that middle third when they went running at them. The Galway guys were generally able to stick with them, apart from maybe once or twice where Garod Hegarty got away and was able to set up a chance. Um, and Limerick had, you know, a lot of the big guns playing yesterday. I think it's important if you look at the, the 20, when, uh, when Limerick won the All-Ireland in 2018, they went down to Salt Hill, uh, beat Galway, the reigning All-Ireland champions in a, in a league game there. Then we're able to beat them later on in the year. I do think, I do think it's an important win, uh, as I said, and it wasn't, you know, a point or two. It wasn't holding on. It wasn't with, you know, maybe a negative, uh, a negative, maybe the negative tactics that they had in the All Ireland semi final last year. It was playing quite positively. Um, they took, they took them on physically and were able to match them. Um, they made them, they made them look beatable. Um, the fact that I actually, Kylie's comments, I think, are great for for later on in the year because I think there was a bit of needle between them yesterday, and there's going to be even more needle. Like they are probably the top two at the moment. If they meet again. You know, John Kiley is essentially saying, you know, there was simulation on the on the Galway side. Um, they're being managed by uh, a Limerick man who he was on the Limerick squads with in the mid in the mid nineties. Like, there's bound to be a bit of tension there now as well. And there's already tension between the players, so I do think it's bubbling up towards uh, a really really interesting meeting later on in the summer. Yeah, Brendan, like embarrassing simulation is what he called. Basically, he called them embarrassing divers. Um, you know, it's p- pretty strong words. It is, yeah, but if you're being an old siege mentality, that's what you come out with, and it gives an, an extra pep in the step, and, and that little bit of needle inside in the dressing room against the world or against the opposition, and Galway, to be fair, are the ones that are that have, have come closest, we'll say, last year, but think about the 10 minutes extra time, Mannion and Canning weren't playing, and Galway kind of came to their own downfall in their in their sloppy use of the ball, but they've tidied it up, and they've gotten better and better. And yesterday was uh, was a sign that uh, that their project is going in the right direction. They had a similar style of play, similar big players. Todd Cannon was extremely impressive for me yesterday. Now he is really bulked up. Now I'll tell you, whatever's in the orange juice up there, 
I'll tell you, he's just, he's getting bigger and stronger. He's breaking tackles. And last year, his work rate went through the roof. He looks like he's gotten hit a bit stronger now again. So he'll be standing up wing backs coming out with the ball. But overall, yeah, I, when I watched the game, I I didn't feel simulation uh, roar now the television at me, to be honest with you, when Galway players now, I couldn't hear somebody going, ah, ref, or ah, geez, you know, this kind of stuff that you'd have. Like, I think now you're going to see a lot of that and you'll hear a lot of that because um, at the match when there's no crowd and all, because players will call for the free and they say, oh, ref, he's holding me, you know, and they might stop even. I think we'll see a bit more of that. Players will stop and put their hands up in the air and go, look, sure, just give me the free and have done with it, like, you know. So it didn't roar out simulation to me, but maybe at the game and the heat of the moment and all that, where he saw that Galway players are being cute, they might dip the head into the arm and, and then go, oh, ref, it's around my neck and stuff like that. But it didn't roar out of, of uh, Spanish uh, La Liga to me that lads were taking dives, to be honest with you. I just wonder, though, on that one, Will, um, like if you go back to the last year's All-Ireland final, I think Waterford had something like 39 turnovers uh, to Limerick. And an awful lot of that came because of how Limerick defend, how they could box up players, particularly when the ball broke down. Um, and you just wonder whether John Kiley senses that other managers are sending teams out to instead of turning the ball over, trying to win a free, you know, because you only have to turn three or four of those turnovers into frees for your own team and it could have a massive bearing on the result. And because of how Brendan described how the, the, the Limerick players tackle, you know, particularly the players around the middle eight, they're all big, strong men with huge upper body strength who get in high. If you can win a couple of frees, um, like it could have a massive bearing on the result. And I just wonder whether Kylie maybe suspects that teams will go down that route this year. Yeah, yeah. Just finally on the, on on Limerick. Limerick were very good at slowing your momentum. So when you went through the middle third, the idea was maybe dispossess you. It was to slow you down. So a little hand round the waist to pull you back. A little tug of the jersey, the the forearm into the the chest was saying again to stress it is not their clothesline players. They're standing their ground, and that's just to slow you down to allow people to funnel back. Now that's a free in the modern game, and refs have no choice. They have to blow it. There's no interpretation of the rule. A foul's a foul, and that's that. And that's where they're getting bogged down at the moment, I think. Yeah, and it was actually their first defeat since, I think, July 2019 when they lost to Kilkenny. So a long a long unbeaten run ended as well. Uh, Michael, it's funny given the reaction to the Limerick-Galway uh, game because on Saturday night after Cork Tip, two of your own uh, county men, Michael Dygan and Brian Carroll on social media, saying that that was the, uh, the signal of the disaster for the sport, that the way that game unfolded and the styles of play on show were something to be worried about. You know, what did you make of that game? Uh, I think from a tip point of view, and Brendan will probably give a bit more detail on it, um, you know, tip have always been known as, you know, creating loads of goal scoring opportunities, uh, trying to raise green flags every chance they, they can. You know, they haven't really threatened the goal in the, in the last two games. They've kind of uh, nearly adopted a different tactic. It was more uh, containing Limerick and trying to, you know, just basically trying to not let them get a run on them the other day, it was almost like containing Cork as well. They were sitting very, very deep. Uh, John McGrath was parked in full forward a lot of the time. They didn't play great ball into him. When they did, they got a couple of scores, but they were, you know, they were concentrating on flooding bodies back and trying to stop Cork breaking the line and trying to stop Cork creating all these goal scoring, you know, the good to 10 goal scoring opportunities they created the week before. Uh, I think it's a funny one. I think Tip. Uh, we know what Tip have going forward, generally. We, we wouldn't be 100% sure what they have at the back. I think they're trying to secure things at the back um, over the first couple of games of this league, and we'll eventually see 
their attack evolving back to what we know. That's my own opinion on it, Brendan. Like, what do you think yourself? It is unusual to see a Tipperary team not even interested in goals. Yeah, I think what's happening is that if you think about the championship or the, the league, there's no challenge matches. So we're now seeing teams experimenting live on television. So if I'm Liam Sheedy, I want to see what happens when the opposition try to run the ball and how do I stop through the middle toward. Now, normally I'd, I'd ring Wexford and say, come up and play us in a match. We'll play three 25-minute um, towards or quarters if you, in, in the game and we'll see what happens and we'll trial it. Um, but he hasn't got that luxury now. So he has to go to the extreme. The same way, I don't think Cork are going to run every ball from their 21 to the opposition 65. It's absolutely impossible to do. But they persisted with doing it the other night. Why? Because they're trying to learn how to do it and how will it work. And they'll do video analysis on it. They'll, they'll critique the players during the week. This worked, that didn't work. They have no other way of trialing it only this way. And unfortunately, as a spectacle then, as the boards are going, what are Tipperary doing? They have nobody inside the opposition 45. But we got back to what we gave out about Derek McGrath about years ago. They're taking it to the extreme, trialing it. And you're right, I think later in the summer, Tip will play with two inside. They'll hope that they'll have learned some of the lessons from a defensive structure to become not more like Limerick, but more like the modern defensive structure. And that transition then into attack is where Tip are lacking at the moment. They're not used to it. And I think breaking the tackle is an issue for Tipperary. They've, when Michael Breen and Dan McCormick don't play, you don't have somebody pound through the middle. Flynn can't do it. Brendan Maher, Paddy, Noel McGrath, as much as I, I love them to bits, they're not going to break a tackle it's just anymore and get away from the and, and create that overlap that you need for that transition. So Tip are learning, Cork are learning, and it's just the other night it looked fairly tedious that, oh my God, what are they doing this for? They, they, they just have to try something different and we just all have to watch it. But during the summer, I think it'll be different. Yeah, Connor. like what have you made of Cork's approach over the first two games? Obviously, they hit five goals against Waterford, you know, week one, another two against Tip on Saturday night while trying to maybe experiment with their style of play, as Brendan says. Yeah, like they're, like they're an interesting team because there's so many good, young, fast players, you know, and then behind it all, you have Mark Coleman, who just, like, he just lords it back there, you know, he's, he's just he's just an outstanding player. To the extent where Tipperary kind of nearly went out of the way to make sure that there was a man on him, you're nearly marking the opposition's playmaker, you know, it's 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 a it's a bizarre um it's a bizarre sort of um evolution I suppose in, in Harlem that you that you're putting uh, a player on the opposition's number six to make sure that they can't you know hurl ball that they can't pick out men in space because that's where a huge number of scores are coming from now like you you know again that Dublin game at the weekend you had Donald Bork who was the best ball striker on the pitch and you know underage he would have been an inside forward and he's ostensibly playing behind the halfway line because that's where the teams are getting the vast number of scores. I would say there, I'd love to see stats on it, but I would say that there are more scores coming from outside an opposition 65 than inside the opposition's 45. So, you know, maybe we'll go back in the summer to see Tipperary playing with Callan and, you know, John McGrath and Bubbles or something in the full forward line, but you can understand why for a long period of games, the teams have nobody inside the opposition's 45 because, you know, 
launching the ball long in there can be a bit of a raffle unless you have really good ball winners. And, you know, there's a much more, I suppose, precise way of playing the game. Managers would see that if you can work it out from defence, if you can retain possession, if you have your best ball strikers out around the 65 or even deeper than that, you can score a high number of points. And like, like Limerick scored a goal at the weekend. It's the first time they scored a goal in five matches and they haven't conceded a goal in the last five matches. So there's the team that have won absolutely everything with no real great intent on scoring goals. But they have to set up in such a way that they can generate a huge number of scoring chances, working the ball, turning over the opposition and limiting the opposition from scoring the goal. So that's, I think, quite going back to your question by Cork are trying to run the ball out of defence. Limerick are the market leaders at the moment um, and they've been so successful. The extent of their dominance is so pronounced now that I think a lot of teams are trying to ape what they do but also you know in their own way like Cork have a lot of pacey players it makes sense you try to get them on the ball and create one-on-ones and go past them and open up a scoring chance but um, like as regards the level of entertainment it's, it's not great at the moment that's where that's where I think Cork are going to run aground slightly when the summer comes Limerick don't run the ball through two and four they try to play through five and seven and it's only when they counter attack that two and four run the ball. So I think if you're persistent with a strategy where your full back line are going to be running the ball out all the time, like Damien Cahillan looked fairly good against Clare a number of years back at Doonan, but teams will cop on to what they're doing. And the question really for Cork is what happens when Limerick on the 3rd of July push up on them and they have to go along? Seamus Harney, for me, is the only ball winner they have in the half forward line. Luke Mead, Robbie O'Flynn wouldn't be too bad at it, but it looks like his hamstring now could be in a bit of bother. So like they're going to have to come up with some kind of a plan to get the ball to five and seven and work from there. Um, because working it through two and two and four isn't a sustainable plan when we get to the summer. Mm. And we might finish up, Michael, with the with the Davy Derby, uh, Wexford Clare, very impressive comeback victory for Wexford in the end. Clare looked like they were maybe out of sight as, as we as we kind of edged towards the final whistle. Um, we impressed with Wexford. Yeah, a lot more bounce to Wexford um, than there was at any stage. I'd say in early last year. Like when you look at like Rory O'Connor, the energy he brings to the table and terrorizing defenses, a lot of their best players are playing well again. And there's no coincidence that they're playing well as a team as a result. Shane might have been off colour from freeze yesterday, but he was good from open play. Same with Rory O'Connor. These are the, you know, these two guys really are the, you know, the pillars of their attack along with Connor McDonald. Um, so like you kind of nearly not feel sorry for Claire, but Claire did had brought an awful lot to the table before before Liam Curry got sent off. And while Matt O'Hanlon was obviously off for the last couple of minutes of the game, having seen the line as well, the game did kind of turn a lot um, when Liam Curry was was was, uh, was showing the line. Wexford were able to break the line. Uh, I think they used the ball very smartly. They probably learned from. Um, not doing that well when they were beaten by Tipperary in the All-Ireland semi-final when they had an extra man they were far smarter with the ball the, the, the passes were an awful lot crisper everything was done a lot more precise they were able to get through for two goals during that time as well and that was really the difference um, from Brian Lowen's point of view um, there was probably a lot of doom and gloom in the past week since they came back made that long kind of lonely journey back from Corrigan Park but if you take into account the fact that they were missing Tony Kelly after you know after the 28 minute he was gone their tallies man uh, David McInerney not not back Colin Galvin not back um, you know Shane O'Donnell out as well there were a lot, I think there were actually a lot of a lot of bright spots for them and as in fairness to Milan said in his column on Saturday they do have to try things during the league like it is an experimentation like I know it's very front and center now and teams will get critiqued an awful lot for doing different moves but trying John Connell at center back 
and trying all these different things. That is what the league is for. And even trying Dermot Ryan as, at wing back has been a roaring success. He was absolutely brilliant the other day. They tried Aidan McCarthy in the inside full forward line, didn't work, probably realised that he probably does need to be out around the field. He's learning all these things. And while they didn't get a result yesterday, there was an awful lot of, uh, there was an awful lot of bright spots from Clare considering the personnel that they were missing. Yeah, Connor. Like, what's your view on Claire? Obviously, the off-field stuff has generated a lot of noise. But as Michael mentioned in John Milan's column on Saturday, he kind of defended their, you know, on-field uh, capabilities or or potential, and um, that you know he wouldn't write them off just yet. Like, what? Where are you on that? Well, I think the league is going to be important for them now. Like going back to what we said earlier, you know, yeah, teams are experimenting, but it's it's very very close to the start of the championship to simply just born for competitive games, the only matches that you played in six or seven months. Like Clare have to go to Port Leash next weekend. You'd expect them to win there, and I would expect them to win there. But then I think they have to go to Parnell Park. And like nobody likes playing in Parnell Park. It's just it's it, you know it's not a it's not a good hurling pitch. Dublin enjoy playing there just because they're so used to it. But like if you know if they were to lose there and then all of a sudden you're in a situation where you're heading into the championship on the back of those sort of losses with all the rest of the negativity around the team. Like nobody can tell Nobody could tell you except for the players themselves, you know, what effect it's having on them. Even if it's having no effect on them, still losing to Antrim, losing to Wexford. And if they did lose to Dublin, that would be a very, very bad spring campaign. And I think they'd find it hard to turn around and have a good summer because, you know, like, you know, they look like, like it's a shame that Peter Duggan didn't come back. I'm not really sure what they're going to do with John Conlon this year. I think Shanahar uh, gives them a really good sort of ball winning dimension up front. And obviously if Tony Kelly and Shane O'Donnell cut loose, they have all the bits and pieces that you need to be a really good team. But I just think that they're probably the one team uh, that need to hit a bit of form, need to pick up a couple of wins and show something before the championship starts. Otherwise, it's just going to be hard to flick it on. I don't, I don't think any team can do that. Not Limerick and certainly not Clare. Yeah, Brennan, I might give you the last word then on the two teams. You know, what, what's standing out to you after the first two weekends? <laughs> Well, for, from Wexford's point of view, it was, it was great to get the comeback and had the spirit and all that. I think Brian Lowe must think if he ducks, they drown because at, at one stage coming down the home straight, I'd say he thought that I might be out the gap here. Great, we're going to get a win. There's a positive slant. But I think training during the week in Clare had that extra bit of cut to it. So that will that will certainly be a help. I don't think John Conlon will last at centre-back. Um, I think he's going to struggle there. He can play another three matches there, but I think teams are going to are going to target him because if the centre forward goes up the pitch, he's obviously not going to follow him. So if the runners come down the middle, I'm not so sure if he's going to have the feet to be able to stop him. And as well as that, in the modern game, your number six is like Tom Brady. So like Mark Coleman showed the other night, Hannon does it. Tiberi, Seamus Kennedy is starting to get it a little bit or Ronan Mar when he gets in that position. I don't see John Conlon, uh, John Conlon doing that. Um, but yeah, I think both, like, Clare will be will be okay. They have to beat Watford. That's why John Milan, I think, in the column has been, uh, has been cute <laughs> because uh, they play Watford. The last thing he wants is to write something to say that Clare are absolutely bust because it'll be blown up and put his wallpaper inside before they come out to play Watford. But um, Clare are, are, are under the cash a bit. They need to find an identity. Um, at least the last time when, when Galvin... And all we're, we're, we're sitting back as sweepers. At least we knew what they were going to do. They need to find out quickly what they want to do and get that identity and stick to it. Um, and Wexford, I think we know what they're able to do. And David will be happy enough that they showed unbelievable spirit to go to Ennis and, and pull a win because 
that was probably one of the trickiest games I'm going to have in the league based on the intensity player we're going to bring, having been smacked by Anton the week before. So, look, every team is learning uh, on the job, as it were. Wexford know what they want to do. Limerick and Galway know what they want to do. I think Cork, Clare and Tipperary just have to catch up as to what they want to do. And, and they've only three more matches to, to show us. Mm. Well, I'd like to thank Connor, Michael and Brendan for joining me on the Throw On podcast this week. In association with Allianz, we will be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. Allianz. Supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz Leagues.